that song? That song in it. Um, tonight we're going to start a, a series uh, called Crossing the Jordan, and we're just going to be going through the book of Joshua, which is one of my favorite books of the Bible because it's full of some great stories, just one story after the next, great personalities in there as well, and it will continue for a while. I don't know how long. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, we'll probably take some breaks here and there and just keep, but I think you'll enjoy it. And, and most of you have probably read the book of Joshua and know that uh, there are great things in store for us in that book. Uh, back in, back in the, John Scott, you played trombone in high school. Yeah? Yeah? I played trombone as well, my man. Any other trombone players in the house? Hey, we got a few. All right. Mitchell Vick played trombone. How about that? Who was back there? Who's my. Charlie Johnston. Love it. Well, I was okay, right? I wasn't bad. I wasn't great. I was okay. And I rose um, to the lofty rank of second chair. Neosho, Missouri, Wildcat Marching Band. I was in the jazz band as well. Uh, rode the lofty, lofty rank of second chair. But there was a big gap between first chair and second chair, right? Um, first chair was Gerald Ezell, and that man, he could play. He could play, man. Uh, he didn't just play the correct notes and read music and all of that. I mean, he played. And when we had a solo and, and jazz band, he would take the solo and, and do a fantastic job. Just a sweet, here's for our older folks, a sweet Glenn Miller-type tone uh, when he blew into that horn. And let's just say, I was Okay. I sounded a lot better because I sat next to Gerald, and, that, and my mediocre sounds just kind of blended with his heavenly uh, trombone music. Uh, well, one fall in marching band, I can't even remember the name of the tune, but we were playing this Spanish number, kind of upbeat Spanish number during halftime of the uh, football games there in the Osho, and I do remember this, right in the middle of that song, there was a trombone solo, and so Gerald... Uh, would walk up to the front there at halftime in front of a couple thousand people there in the ocean, take off his hat, and he would just let it rip with his trombone solo. And it was always fun to listen to him play. Uh, well, one week, the sum of all of my fears was realized. Gerald was out of town, all right? He would not be there this Friday night. And so I would be playing the solo in the halftime. You may think, wow, what an opportunity. No, I did not see it as an opportunity. I was not excited about it. Uh, I knew I was average. It's, it's, it's okay to be average when you know you're average. It's scary. You see this on American Idol sometimes when people think they're great, but they're really not. Well, I knew I was average. I knew I couldn't hold a candle to Gerald. Uh, so it wasn't like I thought this was my big shot and I was going to make the most of it or something like that. I was just dreading uh, this uh, thought of this Friday night halftime solo. Um, but God is good. Amen. God is good. The Lord had my back. And somewhere in the second quarter of that football game, a deluge of rain came down in southwest Missouri, uh, the likes of which we have never seen since. It was a real gully washer. The game continued because there wasn't any lightning, but our band director, Mr. Kelso, announced very hurriedly, we need to head back to the band room. We're not going to do halftime tonight. And it was so funny, John Scott, because 
Mr. Kelso and people around me were all like, oh, man, we are so sorry. <laughs> it was cr- They're like, we're so sorry. You missed your chance. And I was just going, yes, yes. I was, please do not stop raining. So it didn't stop raining. I didn't have to perform. I was off the hook. Um, but I don't know when I've been as relieved as I was there. Well, there are spotlight moments in life. I mean, big, big moments. And sometimes you're ready. Sometimes you're not ready. Um, blessed is the person who knows they're not ready and gets rained out. I would say that. Well, I was okay at trombone, but I was no Gerald Izell, And absolutely, I did not have interest in taking his place or becoming first chair. And maybe you've been in a situation like that before. I'm sure you, we probably all have, where you don't feel totally prepared uh, or you're getting your big chance and it can be exhilarating if you know you're ready or you know you can get ready. It can be very scary and uh, anxiety causing if you know that you're not ready. So enter Moses. I suspect we've heard of Moses. Uh, Moses is a pretty big deal. Transfiguration, right? You've got Jesus, you've got Moses, you've got Elijah, you've got the big ones showing up there on the Transfiguration. Moses is a giant of faith, Mount Rushmore type person of faith in the Bible, titan of leadership. And it would be more than a little intimidating, daunting to be his backup, to be his understudy, to be second chair to Moses. And in all of Jewish history, the Old Testament, the Tanakh, In all of Jewish history, there was never anyone like Moses. There were some great people, some great women and men. There was never anybody like Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 34, don't take my word for it. Deuteronomy chapter 34, last chapter in that book, before Joshua begins. Verse 10, no prophet has risen since in Israel like Moses, whom God knew face to face. Never since has there been anything like the signs and the miracle wonders that God sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his servants, and to all his land. Nothing to compare with that all-powerful hand of his and all the great and terrible things Moses did at halftime as every eye in Israel watched. He was a big deal, and everyone knew it, and the people had seen it. Moses, the one who talked to God face-to-face as a man talks to another man. Moses, the individual that God used to bring liberation, to bring deliverance to his people who had been enslaved for centuries in Egypt. Moses, the one who took on the ancient superpower of the world, Egypt, Uh, mano a mano with Pharaoh. Moses, the one who turned the Nile into blood and who God, through Moses, uh, wrought all of these terrible plagues upon Egypt. Moses, uh, before whom the waters of of the Red Sea parted. Moses, who received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Moses, the person who tradition holds, wrote by the Holy Spirit's guidance, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. One-of-a-kind person, uh, once-in-a-millennium sort of person. But at the end of Deuteronomy's account, uh, this titan of faith is nearing the end. He is at death's door. He knows it. The people know it. And it was time 
for the second chariot to move up to first chariot. It was time for Joshua, the son of Nun, to become the leader of God's people. So we'll pick it up here again in Deuteronomy 34, this time verse 9. Moses is going to pass the baton of leadership. Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. The people of Israel listened intently to him and did the same as when God had commanded Moses. Okay? So Moses was about to die, and even though he had accomplished so much, there was a lot left to do. The liberation project had been launched, but had not been completed during Moses' lifetime, at least not the, the final step in the promised land. Moses had never crossed over. He had never gone through the Jordan onto the other side. This task would be left to his successor. So what does it mean when the Bible says that Moses laid hands on Joshua, son of Nun? It means that it was very public. It means everyone knew this this wasn't something in secret. It, It meant that he had placed his hands on Joshua's shoulders or on Joshua's head and and essentially it said, hey everyone, this is the anointed one. This is the new leader. You need to follow this man. God is going to use this individual to lead all of you across the Jordan into the promised land. And yes, we know there are lots of bad guys in the promised land, but, but this is the guy to lead us to victory. And what a humbling, knees-knocking sort of moment this must have been for Joshua. I mean, it's, it's time for the big show. It's time for the conquest of the promised land. And, and he is the one that's called to step out, to get in front, to take charge, and to lead the people. Now for what comes next. And again, we're going to go slowly through the book of Joshua. So I know there's a lot of good stuff in Joshua. We're just going to do the first few verses tonight. But I promise you we'll do the rest later. So let's just do the first six verses tonight. Let's look at this. Uh, in Joshua chapter 1, what comes next? After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, The Lord said to him, Is this the first time he heard the Lord's voice? The Lord said to him, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites up north to the great sea, uh, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. I'm with you for the duration. Now there is a courage that comes from knowing no matter what you face, no matter what enemies line up against you, no matter what circumstances you encounter, there's a courage that comes from knowing that you 
are in the middle of what God has called you to do, right? You are doing what God has called you to do. That's invigorating and that fills you with courage. I will be with you, God says. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. This is my promise. And so here's what Joshua is told by God. You're going to be going to a lot of places. You're going to be fighting a lot of enemies, a lot of battles. But know this, I will be with you every step of the way. No one is going to be able to stand up against you. And this week, as I was thinking about this and thinking about, you know, there's a lot of people. um, Surprising people, even, in our contemporary world or in the last century who have been courageous people who have really, I think, been stirred by God to do great things. And I was just thinking this week, as we get close to to Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Day, I was was just thinking about Rosa Parks. And I got to have dinner about a year ago with Freddie Gray. I got to sit sit right next to him at dinner. And um, Freddie Gray was a leader of the civil rights movement before Martin Luther King, actually. Uh, Freddie Gray was in a meeting of two or three people that actually selected Martin Luther King Jr. He would be a great spokesman for the movement. And Freddie Gray was Church of Christ preacher. You may not have known that. Uh, He was also the lawyer for Rosa Parks. He represented her all the way to the United States Supreme Court. And so just really a key figure in the movement. Um, And his client... Rosa Parks was moved, was stirred by a sermon preached by this dynamic young preacher, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, 1954, it was preached there at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, Montgomery, Alabama. And the title of the sermon was The Transformed Nonconformist. And in the message, King said this, He said, the Christian is called upon not to be like a thermometer conforming to the temperature of his society. He must be like a thermostat serving to transform the temperature of his society. He told the church, I have seen many white people who sincerely oppose segregation and discrimination but they never took a real stand against it because of fear of standing alone. And so are you willing to to not just stand, but are you willing to stand alone? That's courage. That's leadership right there. And that message spoke to Rosa Parks. And she believed it was a message from the Lord. It was a righteous message. And so on December 1st, 1955, this transformed nonconformist got on this Cleveland Avenue bus there in town, just five blocks away from the pulpit where that sermon was preached, and, and she sat down. And you know the story, I'm sure. When the white section of the bus filled up, the bus driver ordered Rosa Parks to the back to give up her seat and move to, to the colored section. And she politely refused. And her polite refusal went all the way to the United States Supreme Court. Uh, She took a moral stand. uh, In this case, not by standing, but by sitting, right? She said, our mistreatment was not right. 
I was just tired of it. Not a physical tiredness, a moral tiredness. Rosa Parks' stand against racial segregation then has this ripple effect across the South. It led her, it led her attorney uh, to this court battle, uh, to the citywide bus boycott, and, and eventually to the Supreme Court and this decision that ruled segregation to be unconstitutional. Little old Rosa, Spark, Rosa Park, a spark that lighted a revolution that transformed our nation. And so I think about Joshua, son of Nun. I think about Rosa Parks. And not all of us are going to be in those spotlight moments. Not all of us are going to be standing in front of the, the Supreme Court, right? Standing for something. But we all have these moments, don't we? Where we can either blend in, take the easy way, um, not make ripples, not make waves. Or we can hear the word of the Lord and we can take... A stand, and he calls his people to take a stand, even when they are in the minority, even when their voice is going to be shouted down by the multitudes. And Joshua knew something about this. We'll get into a little bit more of his story, but he could have convinced himself to play it safe. But the greatest risk is often taking no risk at all. And God had called him to take this mantle of leadership from Moses and to take the people into the promised land full of bad guys and to be, fi- to be fair that, let's not just think presto Moses shows up out of nowhere I mean this character had been a long time in the making and these leadership skills had been honed over decades in fact most of the time that Moses was doing all of these amazing things by the power of God Joshua was sitting second chair. Now you may be, well, what about Aaron? What about, yeah, Aaron was the spiritual leader uh, beside Moses. Joshua was the military leader, right? He was chief of the general staff, if you will. Um, he was the number two man in, in those matters. And you might recall his name popping up in, 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 the, in Numbers, in the book of Numbers, when the 12 spies, right, were sent to spy, to do this intelligence-gathering mission in the promise, and cross over secretly, gather information, um, see what the land is like, see what the people are like, see what the fortifications around the cities are like. And only two of them came back, right? You know this from flannel graph, right? In, in, in the third grade, probably, some Sunday school teacher put it on the flannel graph. And, I mean, only two of them came back and said, the land is good. The people are huge, yes, but God is faithful. We've got this. We've got this. Uh, Joshua and Caleb. And the other ten gave a bad report. It's too much. Enemies are too numerous, too big. Cities are fortified. We don't have a chance. The people's hearts melted. The majority believed in the, the majority report. And there was Joshua and Caleb were kind of sidelined to an extent, but he continued to be the number two for Moses. And we saw at the end of Deuteronomy and at the beginning of the first book of Joshua, now Moses had died. Now it's time for Joshua to move from second chair to first chair. The moment has come for him to be the new leader of the Israelites. And at this momentous point in time, 
Joshua, not Moses, but Joshua will lead the people into the land that they have been dreaming about for centuries. First, they're going to cross the Jordan River, and he had, of course, some pretty big shoes to fill. Uh, I mean, Moses was Moses. Was Moses. Uh, and there had never been anybody like him. And it's his turn to lead. And that's some pretty heady stuff right there. Uh, that would make anyone's knees knock, I think. But he has been preparing for this moment for years. Um, God has been at work in his preparation. Moses has been at work in mentoring uh, Joshua. And Joshua has been taking advantage of small opportunities. Not in the spotlight necessarily, but just small opportunities to grow, to make good choices, to do the right thing, to develop his character, to lead. And let's be honest, I mean, a lot of people, I would say a lot of lesser people, would have wilted after that intelligence gathering mission into the promised land. Would have just disappeared, maybe even abandoned camp and said, I'm not going to cast my lots with the Israelites anymore. Because, I mean, he knew that his opinion when he came back from that journey, that spy mission, he knew his, he knew his opinion was going to be a minority opinion. Uh, he knew that he and Caleb would stand together alone, two out of twelve. Uh, they alone saw that the land was good and believed the Lord would help them to conquer it. Um, so, it was because of a lack of faith, not his faith, but a lack of faith that those other leaders and the people chose to believe the majority report and chose to trust their fears and their anxieties more than they trusted God, right? I mean, they said, okay, we know God's got, but that's kind of scary. We're just going to not, we're not going to take it over right now. We're going to kind of hang out here. And, and we know that that happened. And because of that, the people of Israel, remember how long they were sentenced to wander? Forty years more. <laughs> You're going to wander here in the desert for 40 more years. God, I, God said, I'm not even going to let you cross in and try to take the Jordan River. And guess who else had to wait? Joshua and Caleb had to wait too. Even though they had faith. They were in essence punished for the sin of the people. Now... I just think about that. I think it would have been so easy for Joshua to become bitter during those four decades wandering around in the desert. Not a lot to eat. Manna and, and you know, raven gets a little old, I think. And just these decades of wandering around and you are suffering every day with scarcity and with this nomadic lifestyle because of everyone else. Everyone that you see walking around, you're like, it's him, it's him, it's him, it's him. Nobody believed except me and Caleb. And it would have been so easy for Joshua to become embittered and to distance himself from the others, to disconnect himself from the people. Um, but instead of becoming bitter, he became better, right? Uh, and the time finally comes for Moses to anoint his successor, the new leader, to guide them across Jordan after so many years, decades of wandering. And when the time was ready, there was Joshua. He was ready, not only in terms of his experience, his preparation, but he was, his attitude was ready. His spirit was ready. 
you don't see a single I told you so in the book of Joshua. I mean, the stories that follow as the people cross over and, and conquer Jericho and start conquering the land. Uh, Moses never stops after victory. He says, look, guys, um, you know, we could have done all of this 40 years ago if you just listened to me and Caleb. He doesn't do that. He wasn't bitter. He served the people. He led the people. He blessed the people. He listened to God, just as he had been called to do. And next week, we'll look at some more words of encouragement from God to Moses as they prepare for this momentous crossing of the Jordan River. But for tonight, I think it's enough for us to just say um, that no shoes are too big to fill when God has called you to something. Let's pray together. Lord God, we praise and worship you. Lord Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You haven't changed on us. And Father, it is today as it was 4,000 years ago. Much easier to blend. Much easier to try to fit in and just get along but we have been called not to be a thermometer but a thermostat we have been called to be agents of change to be voices for you for your love for your gospel for your kingdom and Lord I thank you for people like Joshua I thank you for people like Rosa Parks I thank you for people who have taken on the majority who have taken on the giants around them and have chosen to trust you instead of leaning into giving into fear and father i pray tonight that you will give us discernment to hear your call to know your call and to follow you into the promised land that you have provided for us as a church, as families, as individuals. That we can begin to see what's possible when we trust you. And we trust your promise to be with us and not forsake us. I pray that you will fill our hearts with courage this week. In the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Let's be standing and sing together. As we sing this song, if you do-